This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Hey, welcome to C3 and thank you for hanging out with us online today, especially those of you, maybe you've never been to C3, maybe you've never connected online. We are grateful that you're with us this morning. And I want to let you know, next Sunday is going to be a big deal. Next Sunday, we're doing baptism at C3. So if that's the next step in your spiritual journey, I would love to baptize you. You can go to c3church.cc forward slash now and register. And then I want to encourage you, whether you're coming to get baptized or not, be in the room next Sunday. Join us next Sunday at 930 or 11. It's going to be incredible. I want to pray for you real quick. And then I want us to dive into a brand new series we're starting today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. I pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts in a very special way. I pray for every single person watching, God, that you would work in their lives and their families and that you would bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. It's the feeling that we have when a baby laughs, but it's more than that. It's the feeling you have if you're a parent when one of your kids makes the goal or scores the touchdown or gets the trophy or the lead part and that smile on their face, the excitement in their lives. It's, it's that feeling you get as a parent, but it's more than that. It's the feeling we get when we look into the eyes of that one special person where the word love seems so small and so inadequate, but it's more than that. It's beyond the feeling from getting a a new house or a big raise. It's deeper and it lasts longer. And it doesn't just fill the space in our lives in those special moments. It's more than that. It's better than that. It's bigger than that. It's, It's joy. Joy is bigger than happiness. It's stronger than struggle. And it's more eternal than euphoria. Joy. And I think it's one of the primary things that's missing in our world, in our culture, and in many of our lives. Today, we're beginning a study in the book of Philippians. And in this short book, it's only four chapters, the word joy or some form of joy, like rejoicing or gladness or joy, shows up 19 times in this short book. To open the book of Philippians and begin to read it is like, opening the window of your soul to a gust of fresh, refreshing air. And I don't know that there's ever been a time in our lifetimes that that we needed joy. It's something that is clearly absent, and it's something that is desperately needed. So for you, when's the last time you felt refreshed? When's the last time you you had a deep sense of joy? Because in day-to-day life, There's just something about life that joy is often pushed out or kicked out of our lives. And there are a few things that do that. There are a few things that push joy out of our lives. One of them is people. There are just some people that when you're around them, when you connect with them, that they they tend to rob the joy just because of how they are and who they are. Another thing that can push the joy out of our lives is, is circumstances. When we go through something difficult, We can find ourselves grasping for for hope, struggling for joy, and and it just seems to be gone. Another thing that can push joy out of our lives is is stuff. If the stock market's up, we're feeling all right. If it goes down, we're concerned. If we miss the opportunity or, or don't get the job or somehow the bonus isn't being given, 
stuff can tend to push joy out of our lives. Worry. Worry is another thing. When we're consumed with worry, it's impossible to be filled with joy. But I think the biggest culprit, the thing that that pushes joy out of our lives more than anything else is fear. And I think over the last few months, last year, a little over a year, there's been a lot of fear. We have walked through and are still going through in many ways the most difficult season in our lifetime for many of us. And for many of you, some people and some circumstances and maybe some stuff or some worry or, or certainly, certainly fear has tossed all the joy out of our lives. So over the next few weeks, we're going to open the window to our souls and together experience the, the, the fresh air that brings back the joy of Christ into our lives. And the joy begins with a very simple truth. And that truth is this. I can't have and I can't experience joy if I don't have confidence in God's love and plan for me. Philippians chapter one says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Jesus Christ at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. Those are the leaders of of that church. He, He mentions Philippi because this is a letter from the apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. And we learn in Acts chapter 15 that the beginning of this church was somewhat unique. Paul actually didn't even want to go to Philippi. It wasn't his first choice. He wanted to go to Asia. But Philippi wasn't his second choice either. It was Paul's third choice. It's really the last place he wanted to go. And when he arrives there, this church begins with a lady who's pretty wealthy. They're meeting on the outside of town for prayer. It's a very small group of people. A lady who's a traveling salesman. Then someone comes into the church that was demon-possessed and been delivered and really in a struggling place and culture and society. And then a jailer. The church is made up of people, upper class, middle class, lower class, but it's very, very small. And at first glance, it's not a church that you would think much would happen. But this becomes the church that many believe was Paul's favorite. See, often we have no idea what will become our favorite because at first glance, you never see the whole picture. Paul wanted to go to Asia, but God shut that door. And when he did, he opened the door for Paul and the door that he opened had more potential and God knew it would become Paul's favorite. But when he arrived in Philippi, the beginning of the church looked nothing like what it could be or would be. See, often in life, it's not just the closed door that discourages us. Sometimes it's the door that happens to be open, the opportunity that we have that that we we look at and we really don't want that causes us discouragement or struggle. I think we have to remember that beginnings don't look like endings. We have to focus on what God can do and how God is leading. Notice verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father. I love these two words, grace and peace, because they always go together. When grace is ushered into our lives, there will be peace. You can't have peace without grace, and grace always produces peace. They go together. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. That is a powerful statement. Who are the people in your life that every time you think of them, you thank God? Every time you think of them, There's a gratitude in your life because of who they are. That list of people is probably very small in each of our lives. But notice verse four. In all my prayers for all of you, 
I always pray with joy, there's the word, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. There's a sense of joy because of this partnership that is in Paul's life. It's, it's the same way that I feel about so many in the life of C3, about so many of you that are watching, maybe that are part of C3, and you're not with us in the room today, but, but you've been around for a while and you have prayed for C3 and you've encouraged me and our team and other people in C3 and you've invested financially in C3. And when I think about you and your partnership in the gospel, it brings joy in my life. But, but notice, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this. Now, maybe you've heard this part of this verse before, whether you've ever been in church or not. Listen, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We're very familiar, many of us, with that verse. It's a verse that says, hey, I can trust God no matter what's happening, no matter how I'm struggling right now, because it's going to be incredible one day. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me, whether I'm in chains. It's funny, the letter to the church at Philippi is written from prison. Paul is in prison. And not like prison today where, hey, here's the weight room, here's your three meals, there's your cable TV. No, this was a dungeon. And in the midst of that, he's expressing joy. I wonder, where is it that you're locked up? Are you locked up emotionally? Do you feel like you're in a prison relationally? Do you feel like you're in a dungeon financially? Where is it that you're finding your deepest, darkest struggle and you feel like you're in chains to something and you have no idea how to get out. And in the midst of that, do you have joy? And how can we have joy? Verse eight, God can testify how, long, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. See, I think it's one of the most misused, misapplied sections of scripture in all the Bible. If you've been a Christ follower for any time, you may have looked to this verse or this passage for hope or for confidence or, or for peace. But our struggle often is that we don't focus on what it says. We focus on what we think it says or what we wish it said. Notice this section again. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's saying, because I can see evidence of God in your life, that, that partnership, because I can see some of the choices you're making and some of the things that you're doing, th those things bring confidence of what I know God's going to do because how you're acting on what you believe. You, you don't just believe something, you're doing something about what you say you believe. This passage is not speaking to people who just wear the label Christian or Christ follower. This truth speaks specifically to those who are actually living in a way that we follow Jesus. See, I think one of the things we have to understand is sometimes we look at the word of God and we see passages like this and we think, oh man, I'm going to hold on to that. He who began a good work in me is going to complete it. But it's connected to something. 
It's connected to the fact that they are living out their faith, your partnership in the ministry. You're doing something about what you believe. This, this isn't just a broad application to anybody and everybody. Hey, don't worry, don't worry. No matter how you're living, no matter what the choices are you're making, no matter what you're doing in life, God started something and he's going to complete it. No, 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 no. This is about people who are living their faith. See, I think one of the things we have to understand is the Bible wasn't just written to us. It's written for us. And this letter is written to the church at Philippi, and we're reading their mail. And I think we have to ask the question, what did it mean to them in that culture? But also, how does it apply to me? Because the Bible is not just a book of of happy thoughts to hold on to, that, that we choose our life verses from. We have to ask, what is the principle or the truth that the text teaches? So Paul is able to say with with confidence that God began something and he will finish it because of the evidence of their faith, the faith they exercise in their lives and, and how they were acting on that faith. I can see because of the way you're following Jesus, because of how you're applying your faith, even though sometimes they're difficult, because you continue to trust God when life screams you shouldn't, because you continue to be kind to unkind people, because you continue to press into forgiveness and you're you're doing everything you can to follow the teachings of Jesus. It's very evident to me God is continuing to work in your life and he's going to complete what he started because you're putting your faith into practice in your life. There's a connection here with what we do with our faith. And then verse nine, and this is my prayer, that your love, I I love this verse, listen, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That your love may abound more and more. We're not surprised that the Apostle Paul, or even that it would be recorded in scripture, that he would pray that our love would grow, our love would abound. That word abound, is it has a sense of overcoming. It has a sense of being bigger than just growing, that, that it would move into and ooze into every area of our lives and relationships and how we live. It's not surprising that he would pray for love to abound, for love to grow. But notice the rest of the verse, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Why? See, this is a specific kind of growth of love. This is, this is pointing to the love that's going to abound in a certain direction. This is not generally speaking. This is a very purposeful and pointed statement. Why? So that, verse, continuing the passage, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge, and depth of insight. This is a specific love. This is authentic love. See, the loving thing is not always the obvious thing. And the loving thing is not always what a person wants. And in our culture today, we think love means I have to agree with anything and everything if I love you. We think love means I have to support anything and everything if I love you. That's not called love. That's called enabling. Authentic love is very different than just I applaud any and every decision you make in life. The loving thing often is not the easy thing. The truth is love needs to be pointed in the direction of knowledge and discernment. And when we abound in love with knowledge and discernment, we'll know whether to help 
or let go, whether to come in or walk away, whether to be soft or show some tough love. And tough love, I'm not talking about being hard or difficult. That, that doesn't help anybody. I, I think sometimes, especially in church, there have been churches and pastors and church people that have talked about tough love and really you're just being mean. I'm not talking about that at all. Tough love is seeing through the obvious to the real, beyond the good to the best. See, we can't trust our gut to know what the loving thing is. Knowing the loving thing comes from knowing the word of God and discerning the truth. What does God say is loving? The one who created us. What does God say is the best way to love this person walking through this circumstance? Because we have to remember God loves every single person you and I lock eyes with. And he loves every person that we love even more than we love them. And so he's laid out in scripture, hey, here's the best way to love. And sometimes, sometimes love means awkward conversations. Now, I think when we have awkward conversations, they have to be filled with compassion. And that's where the knowledge of the word of God and being able to discern the truth can guide how we love. And he's praying this love would would abound, it would overflow, it would grow in our knowledge of truth. Why? So that we can brag about what we know? No, so that we can know the truth in a way that we can actually be helpful to people. Because sometimes the way that people love people is not helpful to them at all. And he's saying, hey, people matter enough that you got to be willing to have the awkward conversation and you have to love people enough to not put yourself above them in that awkward conversation. It happens in humility. And you've got to love people in a way that that you're able because of your love, not because of what you want them to do. But was it because of what God says in Scripture? You're able to say, hey, could we talk through this? So when life is tough, because Paul's in prison. He has this deep confidence in God and this peace that comes because of the grace of God. But how does he have such confidence in prison? How do we have confidence? How do you have confidence as you walk through whatever's locking you up? How do we know? For our own lives. Hey, let's start with us. Before we get to other people, let's start with us. How do we know for our own lives what truth is? How can we grow the confidence in our lives? Because when I grow the confidence in who God is and how he loves me in my life, it brings more joy into my life. I think one of the reasons it's lacking is we have often misplaced confidence. Misplaced confidence brings insecurity. It doesn't bring true security in our lives. Sometimes we place our confidence in things like, hey, overall, I'm doing pretty good. And we look at our lives and we look at the areas that we're doing well and we build our confidence into that. But let me ask you a question. In light of God's perfection, are we really living that good? I mean, compared to a holy and perfect God. See, it's not about how good I think I'm living. It's how does God think I'm living? I can't build my confidence on I'm better today than yesterday. My confidence has to be placed in something bigger than that because I might be better today than I was yesterday, but tomorrow I might mess up or later today I might mess up. I can't base it on me. Another thing that brings insecurity in our lives is we put our confidence in in thinking, you know what? I'm sincere. I'm sincere. And we think as long as we're sincere, God will take care of everything. Man, I, I just I just believe this all the way through me. I'm sincere. The problem is we can be sincere and be sincerely wrong at the same time. 
It doesn't matter how deeply we believe something. What matters is are we believing consistently with what Scripture teaches and what God thinks. It's misplaced confidence when I rely on my sincerity. Another area where I think we have some misplaced confidence is when we think, you know what? My family's always been religious or I've always been religious. I've got a religious background. Hey, the righteousness of your parents or grandparents is not your righteousness. Some people think, you know, I, I know there are areas where I'm not doing well or I'm not really living to God, but I was baptized or I, I know there are areas where I'm kind of messing up in life. But you know what? I pray before every meal. <laughs> now, listen, it doesn't build confidence in who God is and how much he loves us. If what I'm trying to grow confidence in, I, I base on my family's always been religious or I've got some religious things that I do. You're going to find that bringing more insecurity than security. Another thing we put our confidence in sometimes is the thought, hey, I know I need to blank and I will. I know I need to pray more and I will. Man, I know I need to work on being more kind and I will. I know I need to work on my temper and I will. I know I, I wrestle with this and I, I need to try to forgive more and I will. I think the obvious question is when? You know, one of the one of the places of greatest intentions is church on Sunday mornings. And did you know that most of it is forgotten by Monday morning? When? Because knowing what I need to do and doing what I need to do are two very different things. If we all did, if you, if me, if we all together did everything we know we're supposed to, the world would be a very, very better place very, very quickly. See, confidence doesn't come from what I know I need to do. Confidence comes from the evidence of doing it. So I don't want misplaced confidence. How do I cultivate confidence that's going to bring joy in my life? How do I grow the confidence so that I'll have joy in my life? Two very simple things. I need to intentionally place my faith in Jesus daily. It's not about my ability. It's not about my background. It's not about how good I'm doing today or, or I'm doing better than I used to do and I'm not messing up as much. Here's what it boils down to. I need to give Jesus the steering wheel of my life. I, I, need, I need him to have it. When our kids were learning to drive, I learned very, very quickly that it's not best for me to teach them to drive. That's just not a good thing. It's a recipe for a lot of conflict, and it, it stresses me out. It stresses them out. But I remember early on uh, with a couple of them, I, I would try to teach them to drive, and, and there's points where I'm like, okay, hit, hit the brake, hit the brake, 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 brake. Okay, you can go, no, turn, turn, you need to turn some more. And every now and then, I would reach over and grab the steering wheel because it just wasn't going well. Hey, listen, we need to give Jesus the steering wheel of our lives and trust him with it and not take it back. I need to intentionally place my faith in Jesus every single day. Yes, it happens at the beginning of the relationship with Jesus. And in a moment, if you don't know Christ, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to pray a very simple prayer and invite Jesus to come into your life, a, a way where you can know God, the Father, in a personal way. But even though that happens in a moment, every day I need to yield my life to him. Every day I need to say, okay, God, my, my trust, my confidence, my faith is in you today. You're in charge of my life. I want to live for you. And then the very second thing, if I want to cultivate a confidence that brings joy in my life, develop a pattern of obedience. It's not a word we prefer but it's extremely helpful. 
First John chapter two in the scripture, I love the message translation, says this. If someone claims I know him well, talking about Jesus, but doesn't keep his commandments, he's obviously a liar. Now, that's what scripture says. Listen again. If someone claims I know him well, but doesn't keep his commandments, he's obviously a liar. His life doesn't match his words. But the one who keeps God's word is the person in whom we see God's mature love. This is the only way to be sure we're in God. Anyone who claims to be intimate with God ought to live the same kind of life Jesus lived. Obedience. If you want your confidence to grow so that you can experience more joy in your life, Paul from a prison writing about this says, hey, what are the areas of your life that you know you need to be obedient that you're not? Because the door to great opportunities in life, the door to being filled with joy swings on a little bitty hinge called obedience. So where's the area of your life that you would say, man, I'm a Christ follower, but you're not following his teachings. It begins there. And when I obey in that area, even if it's a struggle, when I obey in that area, it grows the confidence in my life because I see the faithfulness of God. I experience the forgiveness of God and it grows more joy in my life. And maybe today you know that the greatest need in your life, the first step to bringing that confidence into your life is to give your life to Jesus. Maybe something you've been thinking about or maybe right now in this moment, you just sense God on the inside saying, man, that's what you need. I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. Just bow your head, close your eyes right there where you're, where you're watching and just pray this prayer. Say, dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin and help me to live for you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus name. Amen. Hey, hey, would you look at me a second? If you just prayed that prayer, I'd love to know that. I'd love to be able to pray for you by name today and throughout the week. This afternoon, I'll get a list of the names of people who prayed that prayer with me. I'd love to be able to pray for you by name. Just shoot me a text, just your first name to 407-487-8311. 407-487-8311. Just send me your first name so that I can be praying for you by name. I also would love to send you a free gift. So shoot me your name so I can be praying for you and I can text you back. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this message encouraged you and inspired you. Would you share it with someone that you're connected with? And also, if you want to be a part of supporting this incredible life-giving movement, you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. You can also go to our safe and secure giving website at givec3.cc. Listen, we love you guys. We're praying for you. We'll see you next week.